everyone. Welcome to Sinful Sarah's Horror Menagerie. I'm your host, Sarah Sin. Uh, here with me is my minion of evil and my partner in crime, Nathaniel. Hi, everybody. On our show again, uh, for new viewers, or I always say new viewers, new listeners, mm-hmm. we don't just talk about horror movies and why we love them, even though we do. We also try to bring in the element of horror and history and how the movie reflects society fears in any way, if we can pick them out of the movie. And then also, since I'm a psychology major, we also try to bring in the element of mental health, whether it be how a specific horror movie or horror movies in general can be therapeutic or how the movie itself is reflecting mental health and psychology in any way. Again, sometimes some movies are easier than others, you know, but we just do our best to try to pick these little things out. Mm -hmm. So um, we're continuing our 40s month with 1940, The Mummy's Hand, uh, directed by Christy... Cabane, did I say that right? Think so. Yeah. All right. Starring Dick Foran as Steve Banning, Peggy Moran as Marta Silvani, Wallace Ford as Babe Jensen, who was in Freaks and he played Frozo. Mm-hmm. Uh, Eduardo Sinanelli as the High Priest, George Zuko as I'm going to pronounce this one, Andoeb, Andoeb, something like that. Mm-hmm. Cecil Kellaway as Mr. Silvani. So this movie, what was kind of interesting because I was looking at some, I always look up reviews and facts if I can, is that it's supposed to be kind of a sequel to the 1932 Mummy, but it's not really a sequel to the 1932 no. Mummy. Because no. it just sh- takes, like, the first 10 minutes is basically showing clips from the Mummy, but changing the names from Emotep to Karis and yeah. Anaxamon to Ananka, mm-hmm. and then changing the story, I guess, completely. So it's not really a direct sequel. I think they were just kind of riding the tails of its success. But this movie has three sequels that carry the Karis story. Yes. Which is Mummy's Tomb, 1942, The Mummy's Ghost, and The Mummy's Curse both came out in 1944. Yep. So I don't, you know, I don't even think it's really should be considered anything to do with The Mummy because it has its own sequels anyways. And it, doesn't The Mummy have The Mummy another sequel anyways? I don't, I don't know. I haven't I don't... Seen the- I mean, I think I think Emotep might be might come back for the Abbott and Costello, but uh, oh, okay, yeah, but uh, I don't <laughs> think there's uh, there's an, a direct sequel to uh, the mummy, to okay, the, the, okay. the original mummy, yeah. All right, gotcha. Okay, so horror and history. There were only just a couple things I kind of picked up, which was definitely like escapism. Mm-hmm. You know, it takes you away to a faraway exotic place. Egypt is a very popular one. You get to go along with the characters on their adventure. Um, and then, of course, again, this one ties more to the 30s, which was like the life after death, you know, just seeing that the Tana leads give people immortality. Mm-hmm. So it was that uh, again, as I text, I messaged you earlier, I was like, I had a really hard time with mental health and psychology in this. Like I've just picked up grief on the Karis character. And then um, Andoeb seems kind of very manipulating in ways, not the whole time, but in some ways. So, and then, you know, the boys, Babe and Steve do kind of manipulate Mr. Silvani into funding their little expedition. Mm-hmm. But that was about it. I'm hoping as we talk more about it, maybe I'll, some other things will pop up. And if they don't, again, we, we try our best to pick it up. Yep. So, you know. And, well, you know, I, with you saying that, I mean, you had messaged me that saying you were having trouble finding psychology. So I put on my, uh, my psychoanalytic hat uh, to watch this movie. And I, I found, I thought found a couple of things. Um, one of them would be, uh, um, I guess, I mean, I wouldn't call it a reach, but um, one of the things you do in psychoanalytic theory is when you is you break down specific scenes, 
and mm-hmm. you what you do is you look at uh certain imagery and uh and character dynamic and there's some very freudian stuff going on in this movie here and there uh in mm-hmm. particular in particularly with marta um that i think would be that uh is in there um and then i uh, you had mentioned uh life after death and uh, i had picked up uh some thoughts on the way people view death in this movie um particularly those who have already died uh mm-hmm. so i think both of those are are things that i've i've got locked and loaded but i don't know if you found if you have anything that you wanted to start with uh i kind of wanted to start on one little thing and now of course i didn't make make my notes very well was mm-hmm. that a lot of this and i didn't not like it because you know i'm always going to find something i like in these movies but one thing that I felt was very, there was a lot of forced things, very for, I feel were very forced in this movie. Yeah. You know, like um, everything really up until the actual archaeological dig was a little slow paced and kind of, I don't know, like just a little too slow for me. And it wasn't, you know, I feel like the story and the concept was really a nice idea, an interesting idea, but the execution isn't very well planned out because okay. so many things seem forced. Like, I feel like there's a lot of forced comedy with the babe character being the comic relief. I think the guy who plays him is a fantastic actor, but he's doing the best with the lines he was given. You know, there's the whole scene where they bring the vase to the Cairo Museum and they're talking about the translations on it. And then uh, I think it's Steve mentions the hill, the seven jackals, the square at the base of the hill must indicate Anaka's tomb. If we're right, we'll find her. Um, and then Dr. Petrie says, like, your place in archaeological history is a, is a sure banning. And then Babe just turns around and is like, where are you going to find the hill of the seven jackasses? And I'm like, I just kind of felt like that was a little... There's a couple more scenes where I felt like his lines were a little forced to try to really pull in that comic relief. Not the whole thing, but there's a... I feel... I mean, I feel like I, I got more notes that I'll go into, but I feel like there was very much forced comedy, a forced romance, a forced damsel in distress scene, and a forced villain. Like, it was just very much like, yeah. oh, crap, we're 45 minutes into the movie and we don't have a love uh, couple in love. Let's just shove these two people together. Yeah. Like, that's, with, that's, with, un- that's universal in the 40s. Yeah. Really? That's, mo- most, just, that's it, most movies in the 40s, actually. But yeah. I don't know. I just I didn't seem like there was any part in the entire movie up until the point where Marta's like, I think you're a swell guy, Steve. Um, that there was any indication that those two liked each other. Like, oh. literally. There was nothing, no interaction, no nothing. There wasn't even, like, a hint that these two, it just really felt like, oh, crap, we need someone to be in love, so here, th- we're going to do this scene, and these people are going to end up together. Yeah. And that's what I felt like throughout the whole movie, was there was a lot of forced stuff. I, I don't, you know, and then also there was um, Karis comes into the tent, and he sees Martin and Silvani, and he, like, drags Silvani out by the neck, and then picks Mark just screams and passes out and he picks her up and starts taking her back to the cave. And I'm like, why? There's Ando have never at one point says, Oh, you must take the girl and bring her back to me. But again, it's like, oh, well, we need a damsel in distress now. Like this is the formula of a movie. Mm-hmm. Now we have to put that in. So let's have Karis just bring her back. And then again, it's like a forced villain with Andoeb. Like, oh, I'm, you know, he straps Marty to this, you know, stone slab and he's like, I'm gonna make you immortal and we're gonna be together forever. And you know, mm-hmm. you're going to be my high priestess. And I'm just like, where in the whole movie was he looking for a high priestess? Like, when was he, again, it's like, we don't really have a villain. We have a monster. 
but a kind of a sympathetic monster. Now we need an actual villain. So let's make him the villain. And again, it was just like, I don't know why it feel for, felt forced because I felt like he was doing his job. Like his job was to protect these two tombs. Yeah. And so to me, it was like, he wasn't doing anything wrong. He was protect. He was doing his job protecting these tombs. But then it was like, oh, but we need a villain. So um, we're just going to throw this in and he's going to decide that he's going to make Marta, you know, his high priestess. So yeah. boom. So that's just kind of was something that was like kind of annoying me throughout the movie. It was like, I'm like, I, you know, like it was a bunch of scenes that I didn't think needed to even be in there, really. Like you could have still made this movie and had it be fun and not force so much into it. So I guess that was just my biggest thing that I kept uh, picking up on was just these little forced things that kind of bugged me. But, I, I think um, without I think without those forced elements, the movie probably wouldn't be much fun at all. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that and I think that's probably why they're forced um, is that they they. This movie probably would have been made uh, on the cheap at this point, at this point in in Universal's history, that the the, uh, the horror genre has become um, a B movie uh, exercise and, and it's uh that's actually pretty notable in the sense that it, it still is horror in the studio system is still seen as you can make this movie for cheap and it will bring back a solid return. Um, but it's not like, uh, you know, it, it's not seen as uh, an A picture, like, uh, you know, Disney making, uh, you know, spending $300 million on Avengers Endgame, knowing they're going to bring back a minimum of like, you know, $800 million. Um, this is right this is a movie that uh you know at this point and they used to be uh dracula frankenstein the mummy those were actually like a pictures they put real money into those movies uh even though as we discussed with dracula like there were some financial issues in the back end that uh due to some studio problems uh but they were putting real money in the movies at that point and they kind of petered out by the end of the 30s and so coming into the 40s um, they said, okay, well, we're going to make these movies for cheap, very cheap. And they'll, and we'll sell them and they'll make decent money back. Um, that will help us out, but it's not, we're not banking on, uh, anything really significant happening here. Right. And so probably there wasn't an awful lot people probably making the film cared, but the studio probably didn't. And so, okay. um, the idea behind this movie was probably to be a dumb sort of action adventure thriller type of film. Um, and what's interesting about it is actually a lot of this film is, uh, uh, I think it creates a lot of the inspiration for the 1999 mummy more so than uh, the Boris Karloff from 1932. Um, like a lot of the elements of that film are here. Uh, the more action adventure uh, style um, and so, yeah, I think it, it's some of it is absolutely forced and some of it absolutely does feel like it was probably added at the 11th hour. Yeah. Um, as you noted, uh, and I, I noted it as well with uh, the, the villain uh, uh, Andoep uh, yeah. at the very, very end being like, OK, I'm going to make Marta into my immortal bride. Uh, at that point, uh, it's it was necessary to add that because otherwise as you pointed out, he's just doing his job. He's not a villain until that point. Right. Um, so that makes it okay for Babe to shoot it. Um, other than that, if he didn't do that, then Babe would have just killed this guy. Uh, that was, uh, it would have been, uh, there's no, there, 
these films needed a sort of black and white morality to mm -hmm. to exist. Right. Um, you got to keep in mind too at this time, World War II is going on in Europe, mm -hmm. um, and at this point, actually, when this movie came out in September of uh, of 1940 is the same month that the United States finally uh, starts giving foreign aid to the Allied powers. So there's a lot of anxiety going on at probably around this time in uh, among United States citizens about what's, are we going to get involved with World War II? Mm -hmm. And so this movie probably was ultimately made with the idea of, as you said, escapism. It's probably meant to be, we're going to make the dumbest movie we can possibly do and make it a crowd pleaser. Mm -hmm. uh, to, to make people happy that they went to see it. Right. I don't think the film was all that well received when it came out. Um, but uh, I love this movie um, predominantly because of the character of Babe Jensen. Um, I, I, like I said, I think he's a great actor. I don't think yeah. he did a bad job. I just, and I don't think all of his comedy was forced. It just felt like some of the lines just kind of came out of nowhere. Yeah. I think there's some That's very all. funny, there's some very funny stuff that goes on a little bit too long. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, uh, but yeah, this film, like I said, so ultimately what you come around to is that you have to have that in order to make it okay for them, for our heroes to kill Andoweb. Right. Um, he has to do something villainous and it completely derails Marta. Uh, it does, it does, it, it does a lot of damage. Um, but it, again, it makes it so there's no longer any sort of gray area for the audience. So the audience is going to have, going to say that babe is, it's okay for babe to shoot Andoweb. Right. Um, because other than that, he probably wouldn't be. Um, if if, if and at that point Andoeb crosses a line that makes it uh, makes it okay to kill him. Um, but uh, but yeah, I, I absolutely love this film. I was really glad that it became. Obviously, we picked it because it was available on uh, on on YouTube. Um, but um, I love this movie. I hadn't seen it in years, so I was pretty excited to do it again, watch it again because I was like, oh, this is a really fun movie. Um, and I think it is, but the, the, my, the thing I love the most about it is Babe Jensen, the comic relief character, is the real hero of the movie. Yeah. And um, even as early as, like, they get, they get into the bar fight, the guys attack them in the bar. Babe is the one who's actually doing the best, the best in this bar fight until Steve Banning says, like, get him out of here. I'll handle this. It starts, and then he gets a couple <laughs> of guys and runs away. Um, and at the end of the film, it's, it's Babe who kills the villain and away. Right. Um, and then, but then they add in at the last second uh, that Banning takes out the mummy. So no, he's the real hero of the film, but no, Babe did all the work. Um, in fact, there's a fun little element at the very, very beginning of the film. And it's, it's, it's not called too much attention to, but, I, um, I love reading into these things is they find out about the tomb in the first place because Steve buys a broken vase. Mm -hmm. But the beginning of the scene was uh banning saying how much money you got and babe says oh, i've got uh i've got five bucks that's all i got we're out of money and he says no 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 you've got 75 dollars in your shoe and the, what i took away from that was that babe is hiding money from banning because banning can't be trusted with money uh that banning does dumb shit and babe <laughs> is the one who has to keep keep track of the finances because steve is the the wacko visionary but he's got all the charisma so he's, you know, I think Babe's the real power behind the throne there. But uh, I love the fact, I remember watching this for the first time I watched this movie and when Babe shoots Andoeb and I went, holy shit, the comic relief character just killed the bad guy, <laughs> um, which is awesome. 
and like I said, I think it's a it's a, a little bit of they took a little bit of that from um, the character of Jonathan in The Mummy in 1999, where Jonathan is the comic relief character, but he's actually useful. He does things in the mm-hmm. movie. He has skill sets. Um, it's not something you see very often in film. So I mean, uh, but I love this film for its like kind of dorky adventure uh, formula. And uh, but yeah, in uh, Wallace Ford, I looked him up. Uh, as Babe Jensen, I actually it completely I didn't connect at all that he was in Freaks, but yeah, he was. Um, he uh, he had a really interesting background. Uh, he was born an orphan in England. Uh, in his uh, he went through the orphanage system. He ended up getting transferred to Canada, uh, where he went through a series of foster homes. They abused him, and he got out. And what happened was he was born a, a different name. Yeah, uh, uh, let me look it up again. I forget what his original name was. His, uh, his birth name was uh, Samuel Jones, and he, uh, he travels, uh, he and a guy named Wallace Ford, at the age of, of 17, they, they travel uh, south to America to find, make their fortune. Wallace Ford is killed uh, by a train. They, oh. they're, they're train hopping. And so mm. Samuel Jones changes his name to Wallace Ford to honor his friend's memory. Um, and he goes on to have a, a really, really excellent career as a supporting cast member uh, for a lot of John Ford Westerns. Um, but yeah, really, really interesting background. Um, and uh, but yeah, you're right. He was in Freaks and he was great in Freaks. Um, yeah. yeah. Frozo. So, yeah. Frozo, right. Uh, it didn't even connect, I didn't even connect those two characters. But yeah. He, oh, really? It was his voice. Yeah. His voice gave it away. Like, I was like, <laughs> that voice i know who that is yeah i double checked and i was like oh yeah he was in freaks cool yeah yeah I, I figured that out and did you just say that you thought um steve had all the charisma yeah i mean in, I just, in the traditional 1940s sense okay because yeah. the whole time i'm watching him i was like this i made a joke to myself because i was like this guy is so bland and boring yeah. if he was a spice he'd be flour yeah, he's back. He just to... was there was like nothing to him. I could not like he wasn't a bad character. I just like was like I couldn't stand him. But like it was just like this guy really is like it's like he's yeah. like a cookie cutter, you know, 1940s apparently leading man. Because he was just yeah. like I was just like if I was Marta, I probably would have gone after Babe personally. Mm-hmm. He seemed like he had more spunk and was more fun, and he at least cracked jokes and then carried Poopsie around that little dancing doll. Yeah, so, there's a couple. You know, but... There's some reflection between Babe and Marta too that is interesting. Um, but in that, also in the sense that they both, I think, fall in love with Steve. But um, Babe is a character that, if if it weren't for just like this one moment of him checking out Marta, I would have I would have read him as uh, as queer. Um, I think that, but uh, but yeah, because he's he's very much uh, kind of in love with Steve Bannock. But uh, it, you know, it's. Um, I picked up on that too. I yeah. thought that's why his name was probably Babe because I noticed there's a lot of lines, not a lot, but there's like a handful where Steve's always like, "Come on, Babe," and it sounds like he's talking to a girl. Yeah, like he's he's calling his girl to be like, "Okay, we're gonna go," you know, "Let's go, hun." Yeah. And every time I'm like, "Were they were they doing again?" It's like, "Are they doing that on purpose? Are they doing it because you know in the 1940s that wasn't considered acceptable? So are they trying to sneak it in?" As a way of being like, this does happen, this is real, this is true, and this is not anything to be ashamed of, this is a person's life, or were they, or is it just something that, you know, we start reading into, because we notice things like that. It's probably the latter, Um, Mm -hmm. but yeah, I mean, the, when it comes down, a lot of queer coding in these films usually comes from uh, uh, 
uh, subconscious, subconscious choices that are being made. Um, mm-hmm. And so, I mean, yes, I think that there is something to the idea that, that when watching it, I was like, you know, you could probably read this character as queer if you wanted to. Um, because he, he's, he's very devoted to Steve Banning and, and what that relationship is and why he's devoted to him, it doesn't really never make clear. He just, uh, he does what Steve Banning wants to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it seems to be more like business partners where Banning, had, Banning is the face of their mm-hmm. little organization. Uh, Banning is going to be the one that, that gets respect, whereas Babe is going to be uh, underestimated or dismissed. Um, right. But we get the impression that Banning really cares about him. They, they have a relationship that is, is definitely based on, on a mutual admiration and respect. Um, including a really great little uh, little moment when they meet, um, was it Zeraldi? Silvani. Silvani. Uh, and Babe is planning to con him into buying the drinks. With the card trick. With the card trick. Not, <laughs> and then Steve notices that he's like, oh, no, this, is guy, this guy's a professional magician. He's got, <laughs> got you beat from the beginning. Uh, and it's a greatest character establishing moment of the, the idea of Babe. Uh, Babe loses, obviously, screws up the card trick because Silvani uh, does him. But Silvani still pays for the drinks. Yes. Silvani says, what are you worried about? You money right here. And he pulls money out of, the, out of uh, you know, and he still pays for the drinks. And they, they, they kind of, you're right, they do kind of con him into it, but they're also pitching him. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a little bit of both. But, um, but it's a great moment. It's a great scene for a lot, for a lot of characters. But, and I think that these characters are a lot of fun. Um, like I said, Marta gets derailed in the second half. Um, and that's why one of the things I said, there was a very Freudian read to Marta. Mm-hmm. Um, in particular, that um, we meet off, we, she, she talks to Andoeb. Yes. And Andoeb tells her, uh, you know, that, that Banning and, and Babe are uh, uh, con men out to take, their, take her father for a ride. Um, and uh, that's the only point where he ever makes any sort of insinuation that maybe he's sinister because he, he kind of mentions, you know, uh, he watched her show a lot of times and, you know, maybe he's a fan of hers and he leers at her, you know, he's creepy. He's a villain, you know, he's, he's twirling his mustache a little bit. And uh, then she has the scene with her father. Silvani comes home and um, she, it becomes pretty clear. Like I said, there's a reflection between her and babe where she's clearly the one that's responsible out of the past. Yes. So there's something Freudian in the idea. She's both his daughter and his mother. Mm-hmm. Like she's taking care of him. No, I didn't. Because, yeah, I didn't even think of that. Uh, he's not, and he's like he's the child. He's playing the jokes. He's pulling his magic tricks out, trying to make her like not be mad at him. <laughs> and because he knows she's mad at him, he, he comes home. He's a little drunk too. It's a cute scene though. It's I like very it. cute scene. Yes, it's a very cute. cute scene where he's doing these magic tricks, and she's like, "You, you dumb child." She's like, and where did you, she's like, where do they live? And he's like, where do they live? Uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> like... um, but yeah, it's, it, but she's giving him a hard time about it. And, uh, and then she goes to their, to uh, Babe and Banning's uh, room yes. with a gun. Mm-hmm. She pulls out a gun. Trick revolver, she called yeah. it. Yeah, which is, uh, again, from a Freudian perspective, uh, if you take even a single entry level uh, critical theory course in, in a college, um, you can't. And now that I say this, you won't be able to not think of it. Uh, you'll think of it all the time. 
guns are dicks guns are penises knives uh, usually are too yeah exactly yeah they're phallic objects so she's holding a gun and the gun is is a phallic object that denotes power in a relationship mm-hmm. so she comes in she holds babe up with a gun she's got the gun and then when she, she shoots a heart into the into the door to prove that she knows how to use the gun mm-hmm. uh, so not only is she proving a sense of masculinity with with the weapon in of itself she's holding mm-hmm. she's holding it she's holding her penis and she shoot but she shoots a feminine object in the door uh a, having all the power and then uh banning comes in and disarms her takes the gun very away quickly from yeah like five seconds not even comes up behind her and takes the gun away from her and that's the last time marta does anything of note in the whole movie um that i think that you could do a freudian read on this and that basically banning just emasculated marta that mm-hmm. marta was marta was a powerful force in the narrative until banning takes her dick away and now she's the girl uh, babe even says, well, now we're stuck with a dame. And I'm like, uh, yeah, I know. wrote that too. And I'm like, yeah. Uh, and again, I'm like, you can read him as you can read him as queer if you want to, which is like, you know, the only guy who's upset. There's a woman coming along is babe. Um, and Banning says, you know, she's pretty, but uh, babe doesn't say that she's pretty, you know, babe, uh, babe checks her out at the beginning of that scene, but um, that's about it. Um, but she, uh, but so, I mean, there's, there's something to the idea that he, he takes away her power. And um, like I said, then it, then it becomes, you know, Marta, they even have like Marta's drawing the map. She's the one that figures out Ananka's tomb is behind Karis's. Right. And um, and she says, well, it's about time I did something of use mm-hmm. on this trip. And I'm like, OK, movie like you added that in. OK, um, but yeah, then the villains like I'm going to make you my mortal bride. And the thing is, is that they establish she's a sharpshooter. She's good yeah. with a gun. She's probably better with a gun than any of the men. She never fires a gun in the third act of the film. Um, oh, yeah, I didn't even think about that. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Uh, she yeah. just sits, she spends the last 15 minutes of the film strapped to a table. Well, like I said, um, it was like they were following a formula. That's yeah. what it felt like. They were oh, they following abs- like- absolutely were. And that's yeah. what I mean is that something uh, that I think there was probably some thought that went into the earlier parts of the film and then they just sort of needed to end it in a right. way that made in a way that would have been a, a, a crowd pleasing idea. I mean, if it ends on a joke, mm-hmm. uh, re, you know, a reference joke to a joke at the beginning of the film where uh, Steve gets a, an insulting letter saying that he can get a job in the bone washing department. Right. Um, which for an archaeology, it's like, it's like a lawyer being told he can work in the mailroom. Uh, you know, it's, it's not a, not a respectable job. Um, and then at the end it's like, well, no, actually, no, now you'll get your, you'll, the bone washing position is no longer involved. I have that. And you're going to get my job. And they're like, ha, 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 ha. Everybody <laughs>, laughs at the end. Although the only thing I really like about that very scene, about that scene is that Marta has some power back now that she's actually in a relationship with Steve because she tells him no. Go oh, to the He's next base. No more bases. You know, no more bases. She's like, we're going home. Uh, we're going home, darling. And he's like, yeah, okay, you're, yeah, yes, ma'am. Um, so uh, Marta gets a little bit of power back at the very, very end. Um, but she never has any again in the film. She co- she comes on in comes onto the scene as is forced to be reckoned with, and then she gets that power taken from her. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that that was something that I thought about with my psychoanalytic hat of uh, you know there's something Freudian um, and also something Freudian about Steve Banning in general, where Banning is is like you said he's the cookie cutter leaning man. We we've we talked about that a lot in the 1930s. Yeah, um, we talked about the 1930s. 
that Hollywood leading men are tend to be these kind of schmucks that don't really do anything of note. Uh, they're, really. just, they're just handsome and they do what they do. And um, somebody else usually has to save their bacon. Um, like I said, to the point where they kind of make sure to add that Banning is doing things because Babe's actually doing all the work. Mm-hmm. Um, Babe sets off the explosives in the desert too. But, um, but yeah, it's uh, Babe finds the tomb of Karis, not, uh, not Steve Banning. Um, <laughs> but, and then Marta finds the tomb of Ananka, not Steve Banning. Uh, you know, Babe shoots. So Steve is boring. That's yeah. what I said. Steve is so boring. I made a note that he has more chemistry with Babe than he did with Marta. That's why it was like so odd. They that they, yeah. yeah. Like no, there was nothing there. It was just. No. I was no. like, my God, like at least try to indicate something. Like I can, I can deal with that. But like just to turn around and be like, oh, these two are going to be together. Yeah. Like. <laughs> That's just, yeah, and, and again, that, that, it, that you're right. It's a formula, and it would have been a formula that was very present in uh, in these kind of B movie crowd pleasers. Would be right. the idea that that Marta and Steve, as the two leads, have to hook up. Right. Um, uh, it would be years uh, until anybody started subverting that. Uh, in fact, when uh, we uh, it was talked about a little bit with Alien years later, where there were originally some uh, some scenes about the idea of Ripley and Dallas had been having sex. Mm-hmm. And it was ended up being removed because they were like, well, that doesn't matter. But I mean, the idea was even then, you know, and we're talking you know, 30 something years later, it was still sort of the idea that when you when you had these films that the guy and lead guy and the lead girl had to hook up, they, right. there was a relationship there. Uh, if you didn't do that, then everybody was like, well, where's the romance? Um, I can't remember the film now off the top of my head, but there was somebody who talked about that. There was um, it was a film that somebody had written. And then they were told the Hollywood studio insisted on a romance being added, but I can't remember what movie now. Well, definitely the seventies took away from that because the last house on the left has no romance whatsoever in that. Yeah. I mean, films, films do. Yeah. Films do end up subverting it, but the, the studio system in particular was always really particular about the idea of uh, having a romance in your movie. Um, Mm -hmm. It was the, it was to basically, uh, probably at least at the time was probably something for the world something for the women was probably the idea uh because the studio execs were not exactly uh yeah thumbs down yeah i mean studio execs were not exactly uh uh enlightened in terms yeah. of of how women think and it's going to get worse before it gets better wait till, wait till we get to the 50s uh, i watched yeah, I, I saw a lot of those with my mom and i'm just thinking like yeah all girls like romantic movies i'm like you know what I got through about 15 minutes of the notebook before I said this movie sucks and it's boring. And I turned Mm. it off because I was just like, I can't do any of those kinds those, some of those teen romps back in like the early 2000s, late 1990s, I could handle, but anything that's like true blue, like notebook or anything, the time traveler's wife or whatever. I'm just like, boo, give me a horror movie. Kill someone, please. (laughs) Yeah. Which is why I was always considered weird as a girl who likes horror movies because we're supposed to like, you know, yeah. princesses yeah. and romance. And I'm like, I did like princesses too, but yeah. yeah. In the nineteen too. in the nineteen forties, it almost certainly would have been though that like we need a romance in this movie so that the women have something for for them in the film. Right. Um and uh, so yeah, I mean, so you're right. It's it's probably it's forced. It's definitely added in there as the idea that uh, I mean. I love the fact that she shoots a uh, heart in the door and, and it, due to basically him being a few feet to the right, <laughs> he's not killed. Um, 
she just opens fire in this room through a door without ever giving, giving any thought that there might be somebody on the other side of the closed door. She doesn't um, care. <laughs> right. She doesn't care. She, she wants her, she wants her father's money back. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, she's there to, to get her father's money back and, and she'll shoot them if she has to. Um, but yeah. Uh, so, I mean, there's something there to that idea. I think that there's, there's something very Freudian about, um, the way Marta is presented as uh, a, a powerful figure with a lot of uh, a lot of strength, and then kind of just doesn't have that anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there there is that. The other thing that I wanted, and you talked about death. Um, there are some interesting moments in this film, uh, in the sense of both hero and villain alike, don't hold a lot of sanctity for the dead. Um, you know, that, that's something that I took kind of a little note about that yeah, I want, yeah. I was going to mention, but since you just mentioned that, I'll say it. Mm-hmm. It, 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 it made me think of like as a whole, but in this movie, like that's why I don't think of Andoweb as a villain is because yeah. he was protecting a tomb. It's like you wouldn't go to the, I wouldn't go to the graveyard in Montpelier and start digging up graves Right. just to see what they have in their bones and stuff. I wouldn't desecrate a grave. So why is it okay for archaeologists to go and desecrate their graves? Like that is a big problem I have. It's like, look, we uncovered this tomb. I'm like, that's someone's resting place. Like yeah. that is where, that's how they buried their dead. Mm-hmm. Whether it's how you did it is none of your damn business. But right. the fact that it's not the, I feel like it's almost like, cause it's not the Christian way to bury someone. It's okay to desecrate it. Cause they did it to native, like native Americans. They desecrated their graves, yeah. you know, because they wanted to learn about them. And I, it's just, I don't get it, which is why I would not put even, even with everything with Marta, I just can't put him as a villain because all he was doing was trying to protect something that was sacred to him and his people, which yeah. was these, these tombs. And that's how they buried their dead. So it's just this whole thing where it's like, I don't get it. Like why desecration of one culture's grave is considered okay, but God forbid we do it here in America. Like, we, it's just- we, we do it. We do it uh, in America, but it's, um, it's, it's gone through committee. I mean, like uh, it's even like a plot point in Poltergeist, you know, where right. they, you know, they uh, will relocate cemeteries for, uh, you know, for development, um, stuff like that. And yeah, I'm sure every single time someone does say something about it um, and gets upset about it. Um, I know an ex I had, uh, uh, her brother had been buried someplace and they were going to relocate the grave. And she was really upset that they were going to excavate excavate him. Uh, Her parents were going to, were signing off on it. Um, She was really upset. And uh, yeah. And it was the idea of, yeah, that, you, you know, we do, uh saying the 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 sacredness of of burial space is uh varies from person to person and it varies on how you feel about the dead um because if you take it from the totally secular perspective the dead are dead they don't care they're dead um and that's probably that's the scientific way of looking at it which is there's there is no there is no god there's no heaven the dead are dead they're just bodies the person is gone um it, however one of the things that i love about this type of movie uh like the, mom, the mommy's hand or uh even it goes even to like Candyman or uh mm-hmm. the ruins or uh which is you know that the silly killer plant movie which Jenna i like that movie does yeah yeah, yeah. uh but, it, but what i love about a lot of horror pictures in particular that um use these fantastic elements 
is that the other's beliefs or superstitions are 100% correct. Right. Um, the curse. The curse, yeah, the curse of Khalid is real. Mm-hmm. Um, and white people dug it up and now they're going to be in trouble. Um, you know, like a, a Candyman, the entire point of it, you know, the film is, is a grad student kind of being like, look at these uh, uh, uneducated uh, poor black folk believe this urban myth and I'm going to mock it and, right. and, and, do, and do the one thing they said not to do and I'm going to get bit by it. Um, that's what I mean. I love these, love these films for that aspect, which is the idea that the Egyptian, uh, superstitions about the mummy are 100% correct. Uh, and that you shouldn't open the tomb because the mummy's going to get you. Um, and so you're right. That's the, that's the thing is that, that, uh, is not really a villain. I mean, like he leers at Marla at the beginning, uh, Marta at the beginning of the film, uh, you know, he, he, he insinuates that maybe he's a little bit infatuated with her. And then the opening sequence is basically the high priest who's dying, tells him, whatever you do, don't do that. And mm-hmm. Endoweb then goes, I'm going to do that at the end of the film. Mm-hmm. Um, so make it okay for him to die. Um, but uh, other than that, what he's doing is, is, is you're right, is it's not a villainous thing at all. I mean, theoretically summoning the, you know, vengeful undead to murder people when you could just ask them to leave um is a little bit of a villainous thing i mean it's a little bit extreme to summon a killer mummy i suppose yeah but, but would they really have up and left no come on no like uh but you know they and there's effort to stop them in other ways uh and i, and I still feel like uh something like i talked about with halloween 3 i was like you know the villain of halloween 3 has an army of robots and i was like you just use an army of robots to kill a lot of people um in this case i don't know where the rest of the order is uh hey, don't film. be knocking halloween three i love that movie i know everybody loves that movie um but <laughs> uh yeah the uh mummy's hand it, there's no rest of the order of Kalis. like i don't know where the rest of them are there's just the beggar um mm-hmm. but oh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. but there are efforts to stop it there are efforts to stop them early on uh that don't really go anywhere um so i mean then we wouldn't have a movie right that you know, so in theory, he does try. I mean, Andoweb uh, falsifies his testimony about the vase beginning of the film, uh, so the museum won't fund him. They try to stop. He tries to get the Marta to stop the funding. He uh, he has the beggar pay off the cutthroats to attack mm-hmm. them in the bar. So I mean, there are other efforts to stop them before he goes with Killer Mummy, but okay. um, but eventually he goes with Killer Mummy. Um, even though uh, he's told pretty much explicitly that if you if you screw up uh, the mummy, uh, if you screw up that summoning, the mummy is going to become a problem um, mm-hmm. for everybody. And he tries to use that as as uh, as death insurance uh, with Babe, and Babe doesn't care. Babe no, just shoots yeah. him. But yeah, uh, you know, if you kill me, if you kill me, the the mummy will be unstoppable. And Babe's like, I don't know what the hell you're talking about, and shoots him. So bang bang, uh, yeah, four times. No, bang, uh, bang, bang, yeah. yeah, Babe just yeah just plugs him. Babe gives him an opportunity to surrender. You know, he says, just you know, give you know, stop all of this, and I won't shoot you. And Endoweb says, uh, I'll call your bluff, and Babe shoots him. Right. Uh, I it's it weird that like a lot of these movies, I that for me at least, I know a lot of people are like this. Not everyone, but like 
I kind of empathize a lot with the villains. Yeah. First I mean, people like Freddie, no. I mean, he was a child molester and a yeah. child killer. No. But someone like Jason, who was severely bullied and then killed for it, like, mm-hmm. I would be kind of pissed off at the world, too. So, yeah. like I said, like, I kind of empathize more with Andoeb. I'm more on his side of, like, just leave my the tombs alone. Just yeah. go, like, go exactly. away. Leave, leave my culture alone. Exactly. Go back to America and do whatever you need to there. But this is this is my world, my culture. Leave it alone. Like right. I am, I you know I'm kind of on his side in this whole thing. So yeah, up I until of, I think I do that a lot. I, I, I kind of I don't know. I side with the villain a lot if I can. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, up until the point, like, like I said, up until the point that he's gonna violate Marta, right? You know, um, in 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 a very very terrible way, like you know, immortal life that you didn't ask for. You know, um, you know, I'd and, ask and, for it. Yeah, well, and to make, but also to be Andoeb's immortal bride, you know, yeah, uh, you're going to be, you, she's going to be enthralled to him. But what I mean, yeah. is even he doesn't really have uh, uh, respect for the dead because he has no problem with summoning Collis. Um, and Collis uh, probably just wants to go to sleep. Uh, he can't rest, you know. Um, but uh, the, the scene that really kind of did it for me with that, this idea was also they find the bodies, the skeletons of a previous expedition. Yes. The the prior. Gustav, Steve, Gustav or something. Gustav. Yeah. Like and Steve yeah. says, get these, get these bones out of here and give them a proper burial. And I'm like, but you just mean bury them somewhere else in the desert. He wasn't mm-hmm. like, well, let's get these bodies, these bodies together. We'll ship them back home. It's so the idea that both Steve Steve looks at the bodies of people that would have been probably his peers mm-hmm. and doesn't really care that they're dead. He says, you know, the, the group does not say, get these bones together so we can ship them back to their families. Mm-hmm. It's just go bury them in another hole with a proper burial. We'll, we'll, a we'll Christian say a few, burial. Right. We'll say a words over them. Um, but, uh, you know, instead of them being buried in a landslide, which, of course, the implication being they were killed by uh, uh, Andrew. And- yeah. yeah um but uh the but that's what i mean is that there's even even beyond the actual egyptian artifacts and the egyptian dead his mm-hmm. own dead don't matter um and uh, for andoeb the dead doesn't really matter either because he's more than willing to just summon Collis. uh there's no there's no sense that uh Collis is off limits because he's dead so there's this really interesting idea of all of these characters don't really put much stock into the idea that death matters. Um, none of them want to die. You know, right. they're afraid of death, but they are, they don't really care about the dead. Um, and that's a very interesting thing to think about when you think about when this movie came out mm-hmm. and you're thinking about World War II and all the people that are dying in World War II. And, you know, maybe it is easier to just believe that the dead don't matter, that the dead, uh, you know, and I mean, it's a complicated issue, as you mentioned, you know, the idea of uh, how much does a grave matter, and it tends to matter based on your beliefs about what happens when you die. Uh, If you are a secular, uh, secular person like myself, you don't really, I mean, you don't disrespect the dead, but you it doesn't really matter because they're dead. Um, if you, if you hold stock in an idea that there is an afterlife, then you don't screw with the dead. And uh, so it's interesting that this movie, uh, much like uh, Dracula and some others are, are, 
dealing with something that is supernatural or re- somewhat religious in and of itself um, in a very secular scientific way that um, and it's a uh, it's an interesting and thorny issue in the way people think uh, about stuff. And so well, it's I, kind of hard. I think for some people, it's kind of hard to to um, separate religion and science. Some people don't yeah. want to do that. I mean, I mean, me, me personally, I don't. I've said this many times to people, I don't believe in organized religion. Yeah. I believe I, I studied religion. I did religions of the world. And the one I think the first thing I picked up on was that we're all praying or my allegory or whatever metaphor is like, we're all pointing to the same planet. We all just take different routes to get there. Yeah. Like, you know, in the end, it's like, for me, it's like, they all have one Supreme God, even in Greek mythology and Roman mythology, they have zeus or jupiter that's the one supreme god yeah. they're all pointing to the same thing in the different routes is the different religions that who doesn't to me it doesn't matter how you get there right so you know it's how i am like i just don't sure i like to believe that there's something out there but i just don't believe in religions fighting over one another to be the one true one when the truth is yeah we're all looking at the same the same ending and we're all looking with the same supreme being in the end so why fight about it it's just right. to me yeah like, well it, I mean, it all ends in death it's yeah. all it's just it's ridiculous yeah but you know? it's <laughs> but yeah but it's an interesting element for the film to be like well the the mm-hmm. uh the dead don't matter here right um uh it death is just it ends even though the film ends up going along the idea that it's not you know mm-hmm. hollis comes back from the dead um and with no and and he's just seen as a tool um he's just a weapon he doesn't really uh, do much yeah like, no. Like- no uh i mean he, there's there's the idea that his backstory is given to to give the idea that there's more to him but he's been and and uh and does say like that Collis has agency Khaled is is Collis is able to make his own decisions but he's forced to do what and says because and has the potion the tonalies yeah that will that will keep him alive um and i think that's basically the premise of the next few films is carlos keeps coming back to yeah i read a little bit yeah he just keeps yeah yeah, because he doesn't really i don't know because he has uh, he has different motivations based on the film each time yeah Yeah. but uh i I still found him sympathetic uh, sympathetic because you know i mean the whole beginning story is that he loses the love of his life and he's upset and he's grieving over it so he knows that there's this these tana leaves that can bring her yeah. back or give her immortality like so the question again is would you do the same thing for someone that you love would you do anything and give anything to bring him back some people would some mm. people would do absolutely anything to have that loved one back and some people wouldn't but he did like so yeah. that's why any kind of empathize with the guy because he's you know he lost someone and then he gets punished for it yeah for just wanting to bring her back yeah he just he missed her well, like, yeah, he's punished because he punishes because he committed heresy. I know, uh, but yeah. come on. Yeah, in his his culture, that was. I mean, and he would have known what he was doing was wrong according to the rules of his culture. Um, and uh, he makes that decision, and he does face consequences for it. Um, but uh, well, yeah, there's a little bit of a there's a little bit of uh, what we talked about with Kong in here. You know, the the idea of you know, we've got white people sort of invading a sacred space 
mm-hmm. of uh, of native people in a foreign country, and uh, having that uh, that idea that there's something there that the natives sort of respect. I mean, the the workers in this movie clearly respect. Um, they don't want to touch the body of the people. They think it's bad luck. They don't want to touch. Uh, they don't want to enter. They 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 read the uh, plaque on on Karis's grave and they say no. Yeah. We're not going in. We're not touching that. They all leave. They leave. The one guy comes back and he hears the jackal and he, that cry of the jackal and he's like, I'm out. Um, I'm not really. He's seen one more time. Uh, he dies and then he's killed. That's right. He's killed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then he says, but yeah, like the, the locals are clearly aware of, of the rules and they're right. not going to break them uh, because in their culture, they believe that this is going to have uh, it's going to have repercussions and the white people are like, it's all superstition and it's not superstition. The yeah. mummy comes back, um, but he comes back because of Anduin, not necessarily because of the curse of the tomb. Um, right. But yeah, it's, it's a, it's a really interesting film, I think in terms of, uh, of, and again, this comes before a lot of other movies, so you got to keep that in mind. That a lot of these mm-hmm. things that um, become formula maybe weren't as formulaic then. Uh, but um, but yeah, there's so I think there's some element uh, elements of like the Freudian elements of the 1940s films. Mm-hmm. There is uh, there's this interesting idea on how the dead are looked at in film uh, and in culture. And then there's and then there is that uh, colonialist, uh, mm-hmm. post-colonialist look of you know again we've got uh, like King Kong we've got white people invading a sacred space and yeah. not really caring uh, and then again the only reason why the villain is the villain is because uh, they 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 have to come up with an excuse for the villain to be a villain right um, you know King Kong is the villain because uh, he's murdering people you know because uh, he's know, an animal. Right. And web and web is becomes a villain because he wants to do something terrible to Marta. Right. Uh, up until that point, he's doing exactly what he was supposed to be doing. Right. Uh, and again, that's why they have the opening sequence to give the backstory to Collis and the high priest to tell him, whatever you do, don't do what Collis did because yeah. that's against the rules. Don't abuse your power. Uh, you have the power of the mummy. Don't do that. And then the idea is that, again, he has to do that at the end of the film in order to be the villain. Right. Other than that, he's doing exactly what he was supposed to be doing. I would have um, stolen a ton of leaves if I was Steve or if I was Marta. Yeah. Be like, yeah, be beautiful forever. Yeah, well, yeah, I'm taking those and shoving them in my purse. I think you have, <laughs> to, I think you have to die in order for them to work. But um, oh. I, I think he would have to kill Marta first. No. Her back. I don't think it gives you immortality. I think it gives you, uh, it makes you undead. Well, that's no fun. Yeah. Unless and you're a vampire. Not, right. It's not, it's not cool vampire undead. It's a uh, mummy undead. Like true blood. That's some fun mummy, a fun vampire undead. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, I didn't think of that. I forgot about that. Yeah. It's not. I'm just one of those people that would give it. I would. I, my friend always loved one of my friends would lo- ask anybody he met especially when he was drunk his famous question which mm. was do you have the choice to die tomorrow or live forever what would your choice be and i was always like the only one who would choose live forever 
Yeah, I wouldn't want to live forever. He always thought that was weird of me. And he's like, why? And I'm like, because I'm absolutely petrified of dying. Mm. Absolutely. It's a huge, huge phobia I have is dying. Like the fact that I don't know what's going on freaks me out. So if there was ever anything that could guarantee me to keep going on, I would I would choose it over. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm with yeah. Peter Pan. Death would death would be a grand adventure. Really? Uh, no. I great, no the great unknown. No. Nope. The idea of never ex- not existing creeps me out. Mm. That's why I like these. It does. It creeps me out. It creeps me out. I have many ang- anxious nights of sitting up going oh my god i'm not going to exist at some point and literally losing sleep over it i know it sounds really dumb but i also know i'm not the only person who does that it makes sense it's just it's it scares the crap out of me even though like i don't consider myself religious i consider myself a person of faith i have faith and i probably if i picked a religion i lean more towards my native american spirituality Mm -hmm. but it still creeps me out because you don't in the end you don't know nobody knows nobody knows Except for the ones who are already gone. And they're not telling me anything. So they don't have have anything to say. (laughs) Yeah. Can't they just come back and be like, so this is what happens. So at least I'm prepared. I'd rather be a mummy. (laughs) That Mm -hmm. sounds dumb. I'm the weirdo. That's right. Yeah. I wouldn't want to be a mummy. That's, that's, you know. Or a zombie. That doesn't sound like fun either. No. Right. Exactly. I mean, there's a vampire. Vampire immortality. looks like it might be kind of fun, except for the whole like murdering people thing, but. And even then, oh, maybe, like, yeah. if you did the, if you do the actual, like, you know, I, I think there was like a crack.com article or something that talked about, like, here's the actual implications of immortality would be like, if you can't die, what happens in the world ends, you're just going to float through space, you know, yeah. you know, it's, uh, I'd be a space vampire, like life force. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Assuming there's any other life out there, you know, you just might just be floating like a floating head. Just well, just go back to another planet. There's millions of planets out there. One of them's got to have life on it. You can't. Like, Earth can't be the only one. You can't like swim through space, though. You just be floating there. You can't control your own volition. You just be. Then an alien spaceship will pick me up. Okay. <laughs> anyway, we've come up. We've come up to the hour mark. Do you want to? Uh, you want to take us out? All right. But like I said, I mean, I, I know it sounds like I don't like this movie, but I did. I, I always try to find something I like about it. Yeah. Um. Again, for our little commentary, please reach out to us, anybody who needs it and needs someone to talk to. We mm-hmm. are always there for you. It's important um, to find others and to have your voice heard and to feel like you're not alone because you're not alone. Mm-hmm. We are here. And then, so let's wrap it up again. So this was what, 1940, The Mummy's Hand? I yep. just forgot what year it was. Thank you. 1940. Yep. <laughs> I just threw my note away. All right. Uh, thank you, everyone, for joining us here today on Sinful Sarah's Horror Menagerie. Again, I am your host, Sarah Sin, with my partner in crime, Nathaniel. Thanks, everybody. I hope you enjoyed the show. Thank you for listening. And I like to remind everyone that there's a horror movie out there for everyone to enjoy. So thank you. Thank you.